Let's pray. We'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us please to understand your word and to delight in the promise that it brings us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's, it's a nice job uh, being a minister. Uh, I get to spend time each week reading the Bible and thinking about it and preparing a talk. I get to meet up with lots of nice people, have long lunches and afternoon teas and morning teas and I get to go to parties like yesterday. It's not like I work in a salt mine. Um, it's not like I work in a slave galley or anything like that. It's a good job, cushy job in some ways. But still, I do get tired, um, get stressed. There are problems to be overcome. There are uh, conflicts to be managed. And so, like many of you, I like the idea of having a rest, of taking a break. But my experience, I wonder if it's your experience as well, my experience is that the reality of rest is never quite as good as the idea of rest. It never quite lives up to its promise. So, for example, I enjoy my day off, but the problem with a day off as soon as I have mental space, as soon as I stop and think, I start to stress about things. I turn over and over in my mind what's going on at work or what problems I'm having at home or whatever. I, I, in some ways, it's better to be busy. I'm happy just being distracted. I like holidays. I look forward to holidays very much. Although, again, they rarely live up to their promise. A travelling holiday sounds lovely in prospect. So much fun to plan and organise. But the reality of travelling is a pain in the neck. Uncomfortable planes, even for someone with short legs, they're still uncomfortable. Uh, trains that are never on time, living out of a suitcase, are always on the move, feeling like you have to suck everything out of the holiday because it's sucking everything out of your bank account. <laughs> I, I personally prefer holidays where you just stay in one place and do nothing preferably in summer and near the beach. But even a holiday like that, it never lives up to its promise. I always think about how my family are going to be joyfully frolicking about together and not fighting like they do all of the time. Our relationships are never as harmonious as I would like. Plus, again, when I get out of routine, I get a bit depressed. I remember being on holidays a few years ago. I was sitting on the beach at Patonga. The sun was shining, the kids were playing. It was a beautiful scene, like something you put on a screensaver on your computer. But in my head, I was in turmoil, totally stressed out. My wife, Carmelina, came and sat down next to me and she said, you're having a nice holiday? I said, everything's great. I just wish I could have a holiday from myself. If I could have a holiday from me, that would be so much more restful. I enjoy sleep. That makes for a nice rest. Uh, my side of the bed is pretty much my favourite place in the entire universe. Uh, but with sleep, you have the opposite problem. Uh, you're resting, but you're not really there. You're not conscious. You don't get to enjoy your rest. Maybe I'm the only one who has this kind of experience. If so, I'm sorry for sharing my mental ill health with you. But, uh, but I suspect at least some people will know what I'm talking about. 
You long for rest. You look forward to rest. You can't wait for your holiday. But the reality never lives up to the promise. Last week we saw the author of Hebrews. He was calling on his readers to be faithful to God to the very end. And uh, you may remember if you were here last week, he gave them two positive examples of faithfulness. Can you remember what they were? He he told them to, to think about Jesus' faithfulness. And he told them to think about Moses' faithfulness. Two examples of faithfulness. But then there was also one example of unfaithfulness as well. Uh, One negative example, and that was the example of Israel in the wilderness. So when Israel were first saved out of Egypt during the time of Moses, uh, on the way in the wilderness through to the promised land, they were unfaithful to God. And so even though they'd been saved from Egypt, they never made it to the promised land. Now, as he's been talking about this, the author has been quoting from a psalm from Psalm 95. And there in the psalm, the psalmist talks about, he talks about the promised land in terms of rest. He says that Israel failed to enter God's rest. Well, now here in chapter 4, the author picks up on this idea of rest, God's rest. And he says to his readers, he says that the promise to enter God's rest, it doesn't just apply to Israel in Moses' day. Uh, The promise to enter God's rest doesn't just apply to Israel in David's day. He says that the promise to enter God's rest, it applies to them, to his readers, to believers in Jesus as well. Chapter 4 and verse 1, have a look with me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse (coughs) 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... The promise still stands, he says. But he says that his readers, they need to learn the lesson from Israel in the wilderness. They failed to trust God. I mean, not every single one of them failed to trust God. If you remember the story, remember there were a couple of them who did trust in God and who did want to go into the land. Remember their names? There was, there was Joshua and there was Caleb. Uh, they called on Israel to enter the land, but, but nobody shared their faith and so they fell short of God's rest. That generation of Israel ended up dead in the desert The readers need to learn the lesson from them. Verse 1 again. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. That is, Israel in the wilderness had the good news proclaimed that they could go into the promised land. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. That is Joshua and Caleb. The author reminds his readers, it's those who believe who enter God's rest. Those who trust God, who trust his promises, unlike that first generation of Israel in the wilderness. Verse 3. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said... And he quotes again from Psalm 95, So I declared on earth in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The author says that the promise to enter God's rest still stands for his readers. If they believe the good news about Jesus, they can enter God's rest, but if they fail, they'll miss out. If you think about it, though, there's a big problem with what he's saying. How can he say this The rest that God offered to Israel back in Moses' day was the rest of the promised land. 
by the time the author of Hebrews is writing, Israel have already been in the promised land for 1,500 years. Sure, in that first generation they weren't allowed to enter the land, but the very next generation, under Joshua, they did enter the promised land. Do you see why that's a problem? Here's the author to Hebrews saying, make sure you don't make their mistake. The promise of God's entering God's rest still stands. And if you believe Jesus, you can come into that rest. But the rest that it's talking about is the promised land, and they've been there for 1,500 years. It's like, imagine, um, imagine you've given your children some ice creams, and they're happily eating away at their ice cream, and then you say, be good, or I won't give you any ice cream. Doesn't make any sense. Too late. They've already got their ice cream. At the time of Hebrews, Israel are already in the promised land. They've already entered God's rest in that sense. So how can the author say, be careful not to fall short of God's rest? How can the warning make any sense? How can the promise of entering God's rest still stand? Well, what the author does now, he offers two pieces of evidence. Two pieces of evidence to prove his claim. Uh, First, he goes backwards in time to a time before the generation of Israel in the wilderness. In fact, he goes all the way back to when God made the world. Back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, when God finished making the world, it says there that he rested. Same word as is used for the promised land. So still in verse 3. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words... On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. The point is this. God's original rest, it wasn't the promised land. God's original rest wasn't a bit of dirt in the Middle East. It was way more than that. God's original Sabbath rest was back at the time of creation. And just think about what what God's Sabbath rest was like. God looked on everything he'd made and he said... It's very good. Everything was just the way God wanted it to be. That's what God's rest is all about. That's what the original rest is all about. It's about everything being the way it was meant to be. Back in the beginning, back before sin entered the world. It's about a very good creation where God's people, Adam and Eve, were living in his place, the Garden of Eden, in right relationship with him. And so the promised land, it's, it, it's a picture of God's rest. I mean, God's people are living in his place under his law. But it's not the original. In fact, the promised land was only ever a very poor approximation of the Garden of Eden. Everything wasn't as it should be in the promised land. God's people were still sinful. You just need to read the Old Testament to hear about that. There was still trouble and they were still living under a curse. The, the promised land, the pro- promised land was like a, it was a kind of a blurry picture of, of God's rest, but it wasn't the original. And so the point is this. The promised land is not God's ultimate rest. If you look back to the original, you can see it. God's ultimate rest is something way bigger, way better than the promised land. That's the first piece of evidence, that the promise to enter God's rest still stands. The author now goes on to give a second piece of evidence. And this time he uses the psalm that he's been talking about, Psalm 95. Now the thing you need to realise, if you're going to understand the argument here, you need to know this. 
Uh, so David, that's the author of Psalm 95, he lived around about 1000 BC. Okay, so you've got David writing the Psalm 1000 BC. Uh, but Moses and the generation that came out of Egypt, they live around about 1500 BC. So David lives 500 years after Moses and that generation who didn't enter God's rest. In Psalm 95, David is using the warning that God gave Israel back in Moses' time as a warning to the people of his own generation. So David is saying, back then, 500 years ago, they hardened their hearts and they weren't allowed to enter God's rest. And now David says, so today, you better not harden your hearts or you'll miss out as well. But once again, remember... Israel did go on to enter the promised land. Uh, the next generation after Moses with Joshua as their leader, they entered the land. And so by the time David writes the psalm, Israel had been in the promised land for nearly 500 years. And, and so we're, we're back to the ice cream issue. Do, do you see it? How can David say to his generation, you need to listen to God's word or you won't enter God's rest? How can he say it if they've been in the promised land for already for 500 years? Answer, only if the promised land wasn't God's ultimate rest. It's the only way the psalm makes sense. If Joshua bringing Israel into the land fulfilled the promise, if, God, if that was the fulfilment of God's rest, well, then the psalm doesn't make any sense. Uh, verse 5. And again, in the passage above, Psalm 95, he, that is David, says, warning his own generation, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. Uh, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about, that, about uh, another day. If Joshua had, been, had fulfilled the promise for God's rest, the psalm makes no sense. And so the point is proved again, the promised land is not God's ultimate rest. The promise of God's rest still stands. All right. So it's a little bit complicated. If I've lost you, come back to me. Let's put it together. If you go back to the beginning, you can see that God's rest is about Sabbath. God's people in God's place in right relationship with him. Uh, this Sabbath rest is pictured in the promised land. But if you look at Psalm 95, you can see that entering the promised, la promised land wasn't God's ultimate rest. And so the author of Hebrews draws his conclusion. The promise of God's rest still stands for his readers. And notice the nature of that rest. If you trust in Jesus, you look forward to the ultimate Sabbath, where God's perfected people will be in his perfect place, in perfect relationship with him. Verse 9. There remains then... A Sabbath rest for the people of God. And the author says to his readers, it's going to be magnificent. He says, when we enter God's ultimate rest, we will rest just like God did in the original Sabbath. It's going to be back as it was in Eden. Only better, a new creation. No more sin, no more curse, no more hard labour, no more thorns and thistles, no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Every tear wiped away. Everything very good as it should be. It'll be true rest as we enter God's Sabbath rest. Verse 9 again. 
There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Have you ever wondered if you'll be bored in heaven? I mean, it does sound like a very long holiday, doesn't it? Or uh, maybe even worse, a very long church service. <laughs> uh, in 2012, I had the privilege of uh, taking long service leave. I had nearly six months off. It was superb. Uh, we lived in Florence for three months, one of the nicest times of my life. But I have to say, by the end of six months of holidays, I was well and truly ready to stop being on holiday. I didn't necessarily want to come back to work, I have to admit, uh, but I was climbing the walls at home. I was sick of doing nothing. I was grumpy as anything. Uh, six months, more than enough rest for me. So the idea of an eternal rest? Well, I have my concerns. It does sound boring, uh, particularly if it's sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> it doesn't sound exciting at all. Which is why I have to say this picture of God's rest being a Sabbath rest, it, it's, it, it's compelling. The original Sabbath back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, it's not like they were bored. They had gardening to do, animals to name, they had plenty to do. They had a world to look after, they had a God to serve. Plus, they got to walk with God in the cool of the evening. They weren't bored, it's just that they didn't have to cope with Thorns and weeds and sin and death. They had work to do, good stuff to do, stuff that made them have a sense of achievement to do, but, but it wasn't painful, stressful toil. They rested from their works just as God did from his. It's not that God had nothing to do, but everything was it was as it was supposed to be. Friends, it's going to be brilliant, this ultimate Sabbath rest. And so the author of Hebrews finishes the section by saying again, don't miss out. Don't miss out like Israel did in the wilderness. No way. Hold fast to Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever the effort. Hold fast to Jesus and enter God's rest. Verse 11. Therefore, uh, let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Okay, can you see what's here in this passage then? It's a little bit of a complicated passage, but the author is reflecting on Psalm 95, where David calls on the Israel of his day, 1000 BC, to learn from the mistakes of Israel in the wilderness, 1500 BC, who missed out on God's rest. And the author shows that the promise to enter God's ultimate rest still stands. It's available for those who put their trust in Jesus, and so he calls on his readers to make every effort to enter that rest. All right. All right, well, let's, let's think about applying the passage to ourselves then. Uh, two points to make. Firstly, I want to briefly give you a bit of holiday advice. Uh, no extra charge. Um, and, and then second, we'll, uh, we'll think about this promise of God's rest. A bit of holiday advice and then thinking about the promise of God's rest. So here's my holiday advice. It, just, it flows from this one idea that true rest, God's rest, is Sabbath rest. And God's Sabbath rest, it's not a holiday from God. 
God's Sabbath rest is not just indolence. The, the, the picture is not lying on a banana lounge beside a pool with a pina colada in your mouth. It's not just being lazy. And, and, and God's Sabbath rest is not just indulgence either. It's not stuffing yourself with as many experiences or as much food as you can or whatever. In God's Sabbath rest, his people, they still serve him. They still worship him. It, it, it's a joyful celebration, but it's not godless. It's not self-indulgence. As you know, my job is to pray and read the Bible and help people grow in their faith in Jesus. Nice job. But how do you take a holiday from that job? When I was first in ministry, when I went on holidays, I used to let myself get out of routine, get out of the habit of praying and reading the Bible and reading Christian books, just tried to relax by doing nothing, reading trashy novels or whatever. But as I've said, I found it was very unhelpful. I found I started to have doubts about God. I found myself feeling depressed, like everything's just kind of pointless. What's the use of it all? And so one thing I've learned about holidays is this. It is important to maintain spiritual disciplines on holidays. I make sure when I'm on holidays that I don't miss church. Wherever I am, I go to church, drag my poor, tired family along with me. Um, I find it's important to keep on praying, to keep on reading the Bible each day on holidays. In fact, on holidays, there should be more time to do it. I try to intersperse Christian books with the trashy novels that I like to read on holidays. I find it's really important, if I'm going to have a good rest... To not take a holiday from God. I find it's important to have a holiday with God, delighting in him, thanking him, praising him, and enjoying him and his word. And I think it flows from this picture. The biblical picture of God's rest, true rest, yes, it's a holiday from painful toil, but it's never a holiday from God. Okay, that's my bit of holiday advice for you. Take a Bible when you go to the snow or whatever. Um, here's, here's the second bit of application. And, and this is really what the passage is about. Application point number two. Let's, let's just reflect for a little while on this idea of God's rest. Uh, friends, the promise still stands today. It is a promise that God makes to you and to me. He is promising an ultimate Sabbath rest. Friends, this is a brilliant promise and this is a rest that will live up to its promise. As I said at the start, I generally find holidays a bit disappointing they don't live up to their promise but here is a rest that we will really enjoy delight in it will live up to its promise why let's think think about it for a moment first this sabbath rest it is a rest from ourselves when we enter the ultimate sabbath rest we will be transformed you don't take your selfishness with you into this ultimate Sabbath rest. You don't take your sin with you. There in that Sabbath rest, there'll be no more doubt, no more fear, no more guilt, no more anxiety or stress or depression. What a glorious holiday that will be. When we enter that ultimate Sabbath rest, our relationships will be transformed. No more hoping that the kids will get on and it doesn't work. They actually will get on in heaven. No more conflict. No more conflict. No more hating. No more hurting. No more trouble. No more opposition. Finally, there will be the peace and harmony that at least middle-aged men long for. 
when we enter that ultimate Sabbath rest, our work will be transformed. Uh, like in the Garden of Eden, there'll be plenty to do. You know, I sometimes think of the joy that my children would have uh, when, they, when they were little in presenting a work of art to me or something like that. Here, Dad, look at this. And how thrilled they were at the, the pleasure of their father. Well, there's the picture of work in heaven. Us being thrilled at the pleasure of our father. Plenty to do, but without the curse. No more drudgery, no more toil. Just joyfully serving God. When we enter that ultimate Sabbath rest, creation will be transformed. I love holidays at the beach. Except that the sun burns you and the sand gets in your toes and the water is too salty and you can drown and there are sharks. And, but not in this ultimate Sabbath rest. No more disasters, no more things that bite you, nothing to hurt or harm you. Creation itself will be at peace and rest. Of course, best of all, when we enter that ultimate Sabbath rest, we will finally be with God. See him face to face. Behold him in his glorious magnificence. Worship him with, with joyful thanks and praise. And then, because of his infinite, extraordinary wonderfulness, we just, for the rest of eternity, keep on discovering amazing, new and wonderful things about him. And, and so our thanks and praise will joyfully continue into eternity. Friends, God's Sabbath rest, it stands before us. It is a rest that will live up to its promise. I think it's brilliant news, don't you? I think it's a glorious future. So do, friends, hold fast to Jesus, won't you? Make every effort to enter God's rest. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the glorious future that you have planned for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray, Father, that you'll help us to, to make every effort to enter that rest. And, and Lord, we long for it. Please send Jesus back and bring it on. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.